Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. So my next guest is a sales leader at LinkedIn, an advisor with Startup Accelerance in North America, and a part-time university lecturer at the Rotman School of Management and the Shellac Executive Educational Centre in Toronto. Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Douglas Cole. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Jazz. Well, um, thank you uh, for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast and sending me your fantastic book. I love the way you write, actually, Douglas. And there's a few things I want to pick up on and uh, talk to you about. It's been well used already. But really, what what was the starting point that, that inspired you to write this book? Where was the gap that you wanted to fill? Uh, I would say that there was sort of a, a personal need that I had to address, and then there was a kind of industry need that I felt the need to address. So the personal need was uh, this book basically grew out of a feedback loop that I, I, I suppose, inadvertently created in, in my work. You know, I, I built this in this internal mini MBA for sales for the the LinkedIn global sales team, and in the course of building that and iterating it internally and externally, I just realized at a certain point I got to put this in a book. Uh, it just you know it, it needs to be codified somehow. And then in terms of the, so that was a personal need. And in terms of the the industry need, I felt that there were two noticeable gaps in sales literature. I mean, there, there's a ton of stuff written and produced on sales, as you know. Um, but it seemed to me that um, two things were notice, noticeably absent. One is any kind of consensus as to a, a sales curriculum for people who are working in B2B sales. I find it really striking that across the roughly 4,000 universities and colleges in the US, fewer than 10% of them have any kind of sales program. So that there's this obvious lack of consensus around what a curriculum should be for a professional seller. And then the other thing that I noticed in the sort of informal curriculum, you know, all the sales books and training materials and so forth, is that for the most part, they tend to focus on on tools and tactics. Uh, it tends to be a fairly prescriptive take on what it what it means to be successful, what it requires to be successful. And I felt that um, there was sort of a missing mindset element um, that needed to be fleshed out. So I, you know, I, I feel that I, I just, I, I suppose I'm steeped in performance literature, high performance literature. And one of the one of the key principles within high performance literature is getting your mindset right is having having the, the the appropriate mindset as a way to drive performance. If you talk to all the top performers in sports and business and any realm, you know, the, that which distinguishes the top performer from the high performer uh, is a difference in mindset. It's a, it's a different mindset that that person brings to every practice and to every game. And so I was trying to capture some of those mindset elements uh, for a sales context as well. So those were the two driving needs, I would say. Well, it's interesting because I read this book, I do yoga and meditation, but I read, I, what captured me about this book is that it, it's almost like a meeting of the reason why you need 
business acumen is because you need to understand in order to access that, you need to understand behavioral science. You need to understand what's going on in the mind of your, your customer. Yeah. So it doesn't throw away the kind of business acumen. In actual fact, it gives a lot of insight into that, but it mm. does it from a very different perspective. Mm. Um, and that's what I love about it. There's there's so many things, honestly, Douglas. So your turn of phrasing is, is great. So, you know, the three bonds of human uh, cognition, attention, oh, rationality, yeah. Yeah. and self-interest. And it's like the reasoning is social. Uh, there's just, and, I, and there's so many little phrases that kind of reasoning is social. He's right. It is. It kind of, there's a, these little kind of popping um, um, moments. So I did love reading your book that so much. So I've marked it all up. I'm going to read it again as well. So You've got a certain way of turning phrases and just making them, you know, teachable moments. Well, I want I want to thank you for saying that because uh, that's that's really important for me to hear. I mean, one of the things that I tried to do in this book was write it in a way that was sort of not your typical sort of you know workmanlike business book prose, uh, because I just like. I like, I enjoy language. I enjoy thinking about slightly innovative ways of using language in order to make things more memorable. So you're actually the first person who's explicitly called that out in in in, in that way. And I really appreciate it because it's definitely part of the design intent. <laughs> I think a lot of people um, skim read. I read, I'm a slow reader. And so I'm going to read something um, out, out to you uh, for the listeners, this is. And uh, this was one of those those moments. Um, the client's aversion to change is best attributed to circumstantial variables. I love that phrase, <laughs> circumstantial variables. And it's the responsibility of the change agent to proactively work with those variables. And it's just that's so insightful because there's things, there's honest, you're having so many conversations. The one that's in your head the buyer is having a conversation in their head and interpreting what you say. And then the one between you as well. And there's all of these variables, some of them are explicit and some of them are implicit and unknown. Mm. And you're, it's amazing that we're able to communicate with one another. And this is so essential when you're trying to um, get on the same level of, you know, the corporate buyers and corporate buyers are trying to understand all of these var variables and find a solution to them so yeah love it yeah well i, I thank you for for saying that again and for, for me the, the real challenge of b2b sales and the challenge that i'm trying to shrink down into some kind of manageable size in this book is the fact that uh, and you're touching on this with everything that you're saying but you know in any kind of b2b sales conversations you basically have three different you are simultaneously um, you are simultaneously influenced by three different dimensions, right? It, it, there is the external dimension of how that company is competing. There's the organizational dimension of everything that's going on in that company and what's driving the priorities. And then there's the interpersonal dimension of you know what's going on in the head of that individual and and how can you work that into your approach. So, or external, organizational, interpersonal. These are the sort of three overlapping filters that uh, that are relevant for any b2b sales conversation and it's very difficult to balance each one and to, to to weight each one appropriately in the moment but that's essentially what i'm trying to to uh to, to deal with in this book so and i think that the relationship 
is a word that we use a lot in sales and how important that is. But I think what you've done is broken down what that means. <laughs> yeah, 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 that, that's right. It's um, that's right, because uh, your, your ability to, to forge that relationship is much more than just being a, a nice and charming person. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's about, you know, understanding these these three dimensions at the same time. Yeah. And again, the organizational understanding what's happening in the organization is, is kind of 101 what we're told as salespeople to do. But then that's where it stops. That's as well, I only need to know what's going on in the organization enough to sell to it, to provide a solution. We're, right. we're really quite lazy in the way that we approach sales and um, encouraged to be less internally focused, but only to the extent that it allows me to sell. And it's like, well, we're taking sales out of this entirely. And it's really about uh, understanding, creating a link and a partnership so that you become the trusted, credible, trusted ad advisor, because you're helping an organization in a complex situation to make decisions. Right, right. Um, that's right. It's, um, you know, and the, the challenge that a seller is dealing with is, in some sense, the very comparable to the challenge that a buyer is dealing with. One of the overarching themes of the book, as I'm sure you've noticed, is that I'm constantly going back to the, the, the simple fact that our world is getting more and more complex, more and more informationally dense and overwhelming. And that affects both the buyer and the seller. You know, it makes it difficult for a buyer to sort of weigh all the pros and cons of potential solutions. And it makes it difficult for the seller because, as you say, it has a tendency to make the seller lazy. You know, there, 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 are, there are so many things to get done. There are so many new prospects to reach out to. There are so many tasks to cross off the to-do list that it is very easy to give customers a short shrift. The most important thing is to have a very clear sense of who your your critical few customers are and how to approach them in this deeper way that I'm describing. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Douglas, I'm extremely jealous that you've written this book. Very, oh, very jealous, but very happy I've, I've got you and talking about it. So the challenge is how to influence um, corporate buyers. But I think that you can use this to improve, even if you're not strictly working with corporate buyers. I mm -hmm. think it's a, it's a great book for all people in business, mm -hmm. even smaller businesses um, as well, to understand the business world and how people operate and what are the variables that they're having to deal with. Because it's there's a, always a danger that we we think everyone is like us. And they mm. think the same way as us and they've got the cha same challenges as us. And I think it kind of opens all of that up so that you're a better leader, you're a better entrepreneur and you're a better um, B2B salesperson. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, there was a famous book that came out. I'm sure you're I'm sure you've read it. Uh, it was called To Sell as Human by Dan Pink about 10 years ago. And in that book, he, he mentions that roughly 40 percent of the average knowledge worker's time is devoted to influence and persuasion. Mm -hmm. And I think that that number is almost certainly much higher today. And so I, you're right, definitely, you know, any any business person, even if you don't carry a quota and, and are not sort of trying to hit a sales number, you know, in, in many instances, we are effectively selling. We are, we are effectively trying to allocate, reallocate people and resources. And that's essentially a sales challenge. You know, how do you, how do you speak to corporate stakeholders in a way that is most effective? And, and I think the, the principles of this book 
This is very much a book about principles as opposed to tactics and tools. Uh, the principles of this book are are just as applicable to salespeople as they are to influencers. Let's let's call them in the knowledge economy. Yeah, yeah. So there's, I think there's a real challenge in sales in that. Personally, I'm not happy with the way things are, are developing, and I like to talk to my my guests about that and, and get their perspective. In the way that we're still internally focused, we're still um, embedded in the sales process rather than the buying process and talking about the buyer's experience. Sales leaders have come up as successful salespeople and often get promoted to a leadership role without leadership skills. And they're very much leaning on their experience, which is totally out of date nowadays. So... And I, it's an industry I care about and have invested a lot in, as you have as, as well. So what do you think is the starting point to really accelerate change in what is still stuck in the traditions of selling? Well, I do think we need to redefine our competency model for salespeople and for sales leaders. And uh, it essentially is, I'll go back to this general theme of information. And I, I believe that information trends are the most important thing to understand with respect to the evolution of the knowledge economy and then specifically with reference to sales. If you, I was thinking about this recently. I think if you, let's, let's say you break up the evolution of the modern economy into three different phases. Let's say, and we, we'd apply this to sales. Let's imagine we talk about pre-internet, let's say, you know, up until, uh, uh, up until, let's say, you know, 94, 95, whatever. Then let's talk about early internet from 95 till about, let's say, up until COVID. And then we talk about accelerated internet, which is essentially what COVID has become, right? When you think about the world of sales and, and what the implications within each of these time horizons have been, I would suggest that initially, you know, when you're talking about pre-internet, in terms of the clarity of choice that, uh, that someone had as to a buying decision, in a B2B context, I would say that the seller had greater clarity of choice. The seller had informational asymmetry on their side, and that's why the, the seller had this sort of consultative role to play for to a buyer. To a buyer, when we got into the early internet, that shifted. All of a sudden, the asymmetry suddenly favored the buyer. The the, the buyer became uh, all of a sudden got access to all kinds of information and felt much more in control of the sales process and relegated the seller to a subordinate role. And, and that's a sort of flipped the script, right? Now things are changing again. Now things are going back to a sort of pre-internet days where, where the clarity of choice is now once again on the seller side, not on the buyer side, because there is just so much choice. There's so much information overload that the, the seller is once again in, a, 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 I would say, a, an informationally privileged position with respect to being able to curate and control the information flow that the customer gets. And what this means in practical terms is that the seller needs to be able to make a recommendation to the seller, a legitimate recommendation to a buyer that is based on a much deeper, much clearer understanding of what is in that buyer's interest, that company's interest. That is fundamentally a consideration of business acumen. That, that's fundamentally, that's essentially what we're talking about is the convergence of consulting and sales, which is why I address this theme in the book. I believe that consulting and sales are becoming more and more alike. It's, uh, it used to be the case that the seller was just sort of opportunistically looking for sources of value, gaps to fill, that sort of thing. 
Now it's much more of a consultant mentality. How do I continuously add value to this company? Whether I'm trying to land a new low business or whether I'm trying to maintain my business, I have to be constantly adding value to that customer. Otherwise, uh, I'm, I'm just at risk of being replaced by any number of growing alternatives. So I, I think that this is the fundamental backdrop to the way selling has evolved. And I think it has clear implications for how we assess what a good sales person and a good sales leader is. It, 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 we're talking about a much deeper set of requirements with regard to business acumen than we have in the past. Yeah. So, but that isn't being taught though, is it? You know, no. you talked about the limited number of universities that are, have sales program. And yeah. that seems to be quite, sitting quite separately to the business skills, masters, leadership skills sure. and things. The two things are not in the same department. They're very, very separate. So how do we um, how do we nurture uh, and develop people, salespeople in business acumen? Well, I think that it is um, uh, less a matter of formal education and more a matter of informal education and I would say sh a slight shift in the kind of working backgrounds that we're looking for. So, you know, I, I don't think we're going to solve the problem overnight by just sort of changing MBA curriculums. MBA curriculums are, you know, these, are, these evolve pretty slowly. I think it is much more a matter of, uh, of essentially requiring and incentivizing people in, in sales roles mm -hmm. to take, to pursue learning paths that allow them to learn more about how companies make strategic and operational decisions. What are those underlying drivers for for uh, for company uh, for a company strategy? Um, and I think it's also a matter of uh, expanding our purview with respect to the kinds of backgrounds we look for. I think people who have a, a non-traditional background who are actually in a working in a buying capacity on the company side, for example, um, would have a lot to offer a sales team in terms of lessons learned on how a buyer thinks about a sale. I, I think that. You know that that kind of experience needs to be much more consciously brought into a sales team to to raise the bar with respect to how we understand the buyer's psychology. So I think it's a matter of uh, you know self-directed learning, uh, and not necessarily sort of formal you know MBA learning, but self-directed learning on on strategic and operational acumen. And then uh, I think it's also a matter of just bringing it, widening the, the 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 aperture with respect to skill sets that we're bringing into the sales team, so we have a better understanding. Of how companies buy. Leading on from you saying about widening the aperture of skill sets, there's mm. a lack of diversity in the B2B sales uh, industry. And I wonder if that's part of the answer to, to the problem. If mm. you if your your talent pool is much wider, coming mm. from very different backgrounds, geographies as well, having very different experiences. Um Obviously, there's a problem in that there's blocks to them getting into the sales uh, industry, even at the the um, graduate level and the way that they're asking for degree um, level entry points. But mm -hmm. if they realize that this was a, an opportunity to bring in more unusual skill sets and perspectives, mm -hmm. then I wonder if you feel that this might increase the, the level of diversity in, in sales, that companies would be willingly increasing the level. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that the, this this question is a very important question, definitely top of mind. Uh, I, you know, I, as with any complex issue in politics or uh, or professional life, generally what I find is that there are two things are always true at the same time. Two opposite truths <laughs> can be observed at the same time. Uh, you know, in the case of diversity, I would say, you know, what one of the dragging factors on diversity, I would say, is that the the we are now dealing with much higher turnover rates in in companies you know as a result of what's called the great reshuffle uh, and because of the fact that turnover has increased so much i think there is a there's a tendency to be slightly more conservative in your hiring decisions you want to you make sure you want to make sure you hire someone who's likely to last you know uh, a long time so that might be arguably sort of scaling back some of the progress on on the diversity front at the same time though uh everything you said is is well observed. I, I would say that, yes. It, it, first of all, DEI programs are are very much uh, you know at the center of corporate agenda, uh, the corporate agenda for Fortune one thousand companies, and so it's 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 clearly something that matters. And also, as you say, just on a very practical sense, the 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 industry has. If you look at the average number of buyers who are involved in a, in a typical B two B purchase decision, that number has been more than doubling over the last five or six years. It continues to grow. I think that means by implication that you, as a sales organization, need to have a, a broader and broader understanding of buyer psychology. And that means bringing in different skills and backgrounds in order to expand your awareness of, of, of how the buying process is working. So uh, I think that the whole diversity mandate is very much on strategy for, for uh, addressing the, uh, the, the challenges of the modern B2B sales cycle. Excellent, excellent. So, so what's in line for you? You know, from now to next five years, where is your focus? You ask me for my five-year plan. I hate that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, just you know, not in detail. <laughs> you know, it may be that you you've got another project that you're you're working on. Yeah. Um, well, what I'm what I'm most focused on doing right now. My main learning from having written this book <clears throat> was that, um, you know, as we said in, in our first question, I believe, that I inadvertently created a feedback loop. And that feedback loop was extremely fruitful in terms of ultimately generating this book. And so my focus right now is on redesigning a new feedback loop that is a follow-up to the book. And I want to, so what I'm doing is I, I'm building now a a newsletter audience sort of on the back of the release of the book. I want to continue to generate content, weekly posts on sales, psychology, strategy, leadership, whatever. I want, I want to get feedback and I want to refine a, you know, a new set of, you know, crystallize a new set of thoughts on a follow-up. So that's, I don't know exactly what it's going to be because I think these kinds of things can't be predicted. You just have to let the system run its course, but uh, that is how I'm designing the feedback system. And, and uh, I hope it'll bear fruit over the next five years. <laughs> Excellent. So what we'll do is we'll put in the uh, link so that people can join your, your list and uh, yeah. continue yeah. to kind of have a dialogue with you. Um, so I'm really interested in who is your hero or Shiro Douglas? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, um, I can pick one of each. I can do a hero, Shiro. Uh, I, um, I think in terms of uh, a Shiro, I would say uh, I'm a big admirer of Beth Comstock. Uh, I, she used to lead innovation for GE. Uh, and I, there are a number of things uh, you can read her book. I forget the, I'm blanking on the title, but uh, her, she's an excellent book. Mm -hmm. I think it's called Imagine It 
Ford or something like that. But anyway, she she talks about um, the now. She talks about leading your life constantly with reference to the now, the new, and the next, and sort of allocating your energy. You know, uh, 70, 20, 10 from now, new, next, and, and therefore constantly thinking about what needs to be uh, taken care of in the moment. What are the things that are coming up, and what are the sort of completely speculative things that I could be pursuing in the next. Uh, and so I, I try to model my own life, I think, according to that principle. Uh, and then just um, maybe a bit of a, just sort of an odd suggestion. I, one of, I'm actually looking at my, the walls in my office here and I have uh, Hicks and Gracie as, a, as one of my uh, professional and personal idols. He's the guy who essentially developed the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu uh, martial art, uh, you know, more than anyone in the modern world, perhaps not as much as his father, but, you know, he's really one of the legends. And the thing I like about his approach to that was that he, long before it became popular, was trying to draw from all kinds of uh, unconventional influences. He, he was a big yogi, for instance, long before it became trendy. You know, he took these sort of you know animal movement exercises in order to give him a better sense of self-awareness, proprioception. And I think that that whole approach to just trying to innovate with reference to disparate realms of content and, and mastery is something that I just find really, really interesting. And I, I try to also emulate that in my approach. So those All are right. my ideas. Excellent. Well, thank you for introducing. I'll put the, the links in, in the show notes. So how can listeners get hold of you, Douglas? Yeah, the best way would be either on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. And the other way is if you go to the salesmba.ca, uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter there. I, I run the newsletter out of Substack and out of LinkedIn. I have two separate news, newsletter channels. So either one of those will work. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Yourselves podcast and sharing my new favorite book, The Sales MBA. All right. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you so much, Janice. Great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.